You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's Talk radio show about opera. This is Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week, Oliver comes back from Santa Fe with four fabulous interviews and COVID. So <laughs> those are all going to have to wait until next week as our dear friend uh, takes care of himself. He's going he's gonna to pull through. Instead, we're going to get seriously Sports Talk Radio on this episode. We're going to talk nothing but news, stats, and stars. Like Grace Bumbry. Mm. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, it's on Stitcher and Spotify. On those platforms, just click follow. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you just hit the plus sign. Again, send us that voice memo. Get your voice heard, your actual voice heard on an actual podcast. You can just email us your hot takes to operaboxscore at gmail.com. However you write in, however you connect with us, you get that OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. <laughs> I was just thinking, George, now would be the time, like, uh, you know, literally any form of communication, you'll get this pen. You will get this, <laughs> this, this cozy. Like you could do Send like the whole telegram, the, the ransom letters with a magazine cutouts. That's the way to go. Now is your chance. A, a Post a flyer on a telephone pole outside <laughs> of my house. That would be crazy and very exciting indeed. Ashley, the Bears, the preseason has begun. That is correct. And I was there. I went to the preseason. Were you really? Yeah, Yeah. it was awesome. It was so much fun. I love Bears games. And it's the nice thing about going in the preseason is that it doesn't really matter. But it's also like still full of promise. You know, it's like we're not going to think that much about all of our quarterback issues. We're not going to think about all of the issues with, you know, brand new head coach and what's Eberflus going to do. But it was a fun game. We had a really good time. The weather was amazingly perfect. Uh, the crowd was really, really into it. And we beat the Chiefs 1914. That's, That's great. Can I ask, um, did you have any of the concessions at Soldier Field? I sure did have some of the tell, concessions. Tell us, tell us about Field. the menus. I, you know, we, we got there, it was a noon kickoff. So by the time we actually got into the, like, we started getting into the stadium at like 1030. Uh, uh, No, no, we were very careful. Never. We were very, very (laughs) careful. It's a responsible show. (laughs) No, so we, but we did start off with beers once we got there and we walked around (laughs) the stadium a little bit. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we basically spent most of what would be considered lunchtime in the stadium. So we started with peanuts. That was our appetizer. We love mm, a peanut. Cracker Jack. Throw the sh- no, <laughs> that's no, baseball. Just the, just now, that much I do know, time. Matt. <laughs> that was a test correct, for correct. Weston, and he passed. <laughs> well done, well done. Um, and then we went on to uh, my uh, my companion had a hot dog. I had a Polish sausage Ooh, because oh, I really yes. wanted to go Good Chicago. Oh, yes. um, yeah, extra. You know, they Polish sausage with kraut and mustard, delicious. Mm. Uh, and then what else did we? Have. Why doesn't the lyric opera of Chicago offer Polish with a with a, a crowd mustard? That would be. That's what I want to know. Like a chili dog between acts. I mean, sometimes it's what you need to Can get through. Can you imagine the lines though? <laughs> yeah, for the really for the can. restrooms. <laughs> for everything. 
forever. But yes, good time was had by all. Really expands the wind section. Oh my gosh, you you have now made me hungry. We need to talk some (laughs) opera right now. This just in the two minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything that you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. Outdoor performances are increasingly at risk of cancellation as summer's weather conditions are becoming more treacherous and unpredictable due to climate change. Companies are reaching for new and innovative ways to blunt the effects of severe weather by changing start times, altering costumes, and installing air safety monitors, but the difficulties promise to remain an active issue. Said director of Brown University's Environment and Society Institute, Kim Cobb, we're in a world that we have never been in as a species, and we're going into a world that is completely foreign and new and will be challenging us in ways we can only dimly see right now. In a story Taylor made for OBS, an opera singing offensive lineman is going viral. Chance Lytle is playing his final year of college eligibility at Duke University, and a video of him singing opera for his teammates has garnered more than 200,000 views on social media. Lytle was recently added to the Blue Devils roster as a graduate transfer from Colorado, where he played football and earned a dual degree in music performance and psychology. Now, what was so offensive about that lineman singing opera to his teammates? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Nadine Sierra spoke to Spanish-language channel Telemundo about what needs to change in opera, saying, quote, I've had to deal with certain male figures in my life who were very abusive, especially emotionally abusive, like with Lucia. That, of course, referring to the title character in Donizetti's opera. Grace Bumbry is speaking out regarding the Bumbry method. The mezzo-soprano who has promoted her masterclasses is the Bumbry way took to social media and said, Dear all, I write this message with great concern. It has come to my ears that there are singers who are teaching a singing method called Bumbry Method. From what I've heard, they are crazy and wrong ideas that are far from what I would teach. (laughs) The Sunday matinee for Seattle Opera's Elixir of Love will be a pay-what-you-wish performance in an effort to make opera more affordable and accessible for all. That's it. That's the story. (laughs) Crunching those numbers, Teatro de Lapa de Roma is closing its summer season with yet another record-setting win. The company sold 76.9% of tickets, with a total attendance up 3.8% over the 2019 numbers. On the disabled list, Angela Mead has canceled her concert at the Rossini Opera Festival due to health reasons. Pretty Yende has also had to cancel her concert at the Rossini Opera Festival, also for health reasons. Uh, Speaking of health reasons, has anyone seen Oliver Camacho? Exit stage right, conductor and educator Larry Rockleff passed away at 67 after a long battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Rockleff was the founding conductor of the Chicago Philharmonic and a conductor at Rice University's Shepherd School of Music for over three decades. He also made frequent appearances at summer festivals such as Tanglewood, Aspen, the Music Academy of the West, and Chautauqua. Zofia Postmish, whose biographical novel inspired the Holocaust opera The Passenger, has died at 98. Postmish survived Auschwitz and later became a journalist for the Polish State Radio and had a notable career as a writer and advocate. And on this day, August 15th, a ton of birthdays buckle up. 
1725, it was the birth of Italian composer Giuseppe Bertoni. 1772, it was the birth of German inventor Johannes Melzel, who developed the metronome. Hmm. 1858, brought us the birth of French soprano Emma Calvé. 1875, the birth of African-English composer Samuel Coleridge Taylor. 1890, brought us the birth of French composer Jacques Hibert. 1896, the birth of Russian inventor Leon Theremin. Yes, that Theremin. Weston will play one for us later. In 1904, AC Frost Company created Ravinia as an amusement park intended to lure riders to the fledgling Chicago and Milwaukee Electric Railroad. 1933 was the birth of English soprano Rita Hunter. Happy birthday also in 1933 to baritone Richard Fredericks, who was born in Los Angeles. Happy birthday in 1955 to English mezzo-soprano and Marie Owens. Happy birthday, 1956, to tenor Bruce Ford, born in Texas. 1986 on this day brought us the first performance of Christoph Penderecki's opera The Black Mask at the Salzburg Festival. And in 2000, the first performance of Kaya Saraiho's opera L'Amour de Long, also at Salzburg. And that is your two-minute drill. Tenor Bruce Ford singing an absolutely wild aria from Mozart Mitridate um, from the concert Gabu with Theodore Guschelbauer conducting. Um, that aria has numerous jumps up to a high C from like more than an octave. And you just when you think you've hit, had the last one, like, no, it goes up there one more time. It goes up there one more time. The Queen of the Night tenor, tet version for tenor. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness gracious. It is a, uh, it has been. Uh, an interesting week to have Oliver uh, catch COVID and uh, leave us with the slim pickings, of the two minute drill. Um, but uh, we really do. Uh, I know we poke fun, but we really do wish him a speedy recovery. Um, and uh, I, and I wanted to point out that maybe it was a good thing because we can now talk about like this banner day in music technology, the metronome <laughs> and the theremin in the same. Uh, the two same great taste that taste great together. Am I right? <laughs> Diggity dog. I mean, I, I, it's kind of interesting to me that that uh, the, I mean, I guess it makes sense in retrospect. But uh, developing the metronome in 1772, like you know, you just kind of have to feel it before then, I guess. Uh, or uh, you do they, do they do with a sundial as they, as they went along? Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> I can't think of many instances where metronome would be least useful. Yeah. Than, um, <laughs> then with now, Weston, don't you actually have a theremin? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, you know, I do, Ashley. I mean, like <laughs> if if any of my listeners like uh, have gotten my brand at all, my brand is that that guy, I'm pretty sure owns a theremin and they'd be correct to think that because I do have one. I purchased it uh, uh, many years ago on eBay. Uh, it's a great little instrument. If you don't know what it is, it's the, one of the first electronic instruments. Basically, it works. There's a, a t- uh, an antenna uh, on one side that goes straight up, and there's a looped antenna on the other side, and one controls pitch, the other controls volume. Uh, it is very hard to uh, get any sort of uh, a, a sound on that sounds good. Um, but there, but if you've if you've heard an old sci-fi movie and a UFO went by, wow, wow, that's a theremin or something imitating mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you it's also may have heard one played in season three of. American Horror Story by oh. um, Francis Conroy. Or in Ooh. that opera that we all know and love, Ubu Rex. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah we, we've that all heard old, that one. That old chestnut. <laughs> I hope they're not trying to do it outdoors because they're not going to uh, be able to. Yeah, so very much so. This is, uh, I mean, this is really... In many ways, I feel like every year we keep saying this is like, this is the year everyone's going to remember is like the one where people like start getting serious about climate change but um you know here we are we can we- finally say that for 50 percent of the united states senate yes <laughs> yeah true <laughs> barely before listen we've started at the end here with the two-minute drill and we're going to go back to the top again and talk about climate change i i was just excited that ravinia was founded in 1904 as an amusement park that's very it, funny. I, I just, there was, I can just imagine people going and being like, step right up and see the copulating spiders. <laughs> and then some <laughs> classical music. <laughs> to accompany said spiders, of course. Yeah, dance macabre mostly. <laughs> Thank gosh. All right, it's but seriously, me. let's let's not talk about the carny folk. Let's talk about something that's really important, like climate chaos. Yes, this is uh, this is like I said, this is something that obviously we've seen coming for a long time. Uh, and especially I think in uh, uh, you hear a lot of, a lot of Europe happening right now where, where a lot of uh, rivers are that have been historically there for a long time are at historically low levels. Right. Uh, there's uh, droughts all over the place. Some places are getting, you know, Heat torrential waves in areas where people where like three percent of households have um, yeah. any kind mm-hmm. of climate mm-hmm. control. Exactly. Capacity. And this is something that uh, is obviously going to affect summer festivals. Um, and is not going anywhere. And is not going anywhere, absolutely. Uh, but also, this is, I think, also a good opportunity to talk a little bit about, um, I think, uh, I don't remember how long ago it was. It might have been like two or three years ago at this point. Um, what is but we, we had a discussion um, about like the carbon impact of not just opera, but the arts in general. Um, and I believe it was George who made the point that uh, the arts are such an interesting case because um, it, uh, in terms of like intrinsic, you know, usefulness, the arts are not super like necessary, <laughs> you know, but extremely well, energy like, intensive. The, they aren't, but they are like huge tentpoles of many econ- local economies. Exactly. Are, like are these festivals, like that's how people both artists and non-artists like get work and mm-hmm. if if everything has been built around you know this having the summer tourism industry uh and that is at risk like the knock-on effects the second order effects of that like we just don't know how far that domino chain is going to go yet yeah 
Well, I mean, the performing arts can be an extremely wasteful art form, right? This idea is sort of theater, let's say theater or opera, where you're building enormous sets out of steel and wood, and then 94% of the time that just ends up in the trash, right? Perhaps less so with costumes. You know, lighting, of course, uses amazing amounts of power, although recent developments have turned all those lights into LEDs, which, of course, generate less heat and, you know, create less power, too. I mean, look, and then, of course, there's this... uh, phenomenon of all these artists traveling the globe. COVID put pause to that. Mm -hmm. We're going to see that come back again. You know, perhaps we're not going to be hiring as many local artists anymore. Is that carbon footprint as big as, you know, like the Big Ten adding USC and UCLA so that all these teams are flying cross country now? No, but we need to be careful about that sort of carbon footprint. Um, We can't be Taylor Swift about this. Or any or, Kardashian Jenners. <laughs> or wasn't it Drake's that was the worst? It was like a seven minute flight and it was only, he wasn't even on the plane. It like just went back to the hangar. It was, going back, a little, it was, going, it was going back to the plane sleeping room. <laughs> it was going back to the plane bedroom. Okay, I want to I wanna bring it back to Chicago and I want to bring it back to some personal experiences that I had this particular summer. So sure. Chicago and the Chicagoland area is home to two pretty famous outdoor music festivals. The first is Ravinia up in Highland Park, which by the way was founded today. The second is the Grant Park Music Festival, which happens in the center of downtown. Now Chicago has marked data that shows that the city is getting warmer and Chicago's in the upper Midwest. You know, it's known for its very cold winters and it's pretty mild, pretty enjoyable summers. And that is increasingly dwindling. In the 30 year period that they've just studied from 91 to 2020, it is markedly hotter than the 30 years before. We're averaging and increasing our temperatures in the summer at least one and a half to two degrees over the course of a handful of years, which is a lot by meteorological standards. And the hallmark of these hotter summers isn't even hotter days, it's hotter overnight temperatures. So even these concerts that try to like get out of the way of the sun and put these concerts in the evening, it's still muggy, it's still unbearable, it's still And particularly in city, like in cities that absorb a lot of heat from the sunlight during the day and like, yes, those are both in parks where they're where they're built out with some carbon offsets, but there's only so much you can do to blunt the force of you know right, 20th yeah. century technology against a, a climate that was not intended to have anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a phrase in the city, "cooler by the lake." We have an enormous great lake next to both of these you know, houses and music festivals that are all outdoor, there is no indoor seating for for the majority of the audience and and the onstage folks. But even with that cooling, that natural air conditioner that's built in in the form of a huge body of fresh water, still very hot, still increasingly hot every year. Case in point, uh, I just came off a summer of singing a whole lot at Ravinia and rehearsing outdoors and performing outdoors. We were rehearsing in the middle of the afternoon, kind of that 2 to 4 p.m. period when ostensibly things should be cooling down even in July. It was so hot that one of our singers actually almost passed out and did vomit from heat stroke in the middle mm-hmm. of our first it's rehearsal. Dangerous. It's incredibly yeah. dangerous. And this this is with all of the precautions that we put in place, people staying hydrated, people staying inside until they absolutely had to. I had a personal fan that was with me yeah. the whole time blowing on my face. I looked like my own photo shoot because my hair was just being blown back <laughs> because I knew that I was not going to be able to survive that combination of the heat and the humidity together. So this is legitimately, I mean, if you think about where a lot of these summer festivals that we really know a whole lot about 
Ravinia, Grant Park, Tanglewood. I mean, they're in relatively, you know, high up northern cities in the United States, if we're looking at the U.S. specifically, but they're also getting hotter. You can't even have an outdoor festival in Austin, Texas between, I don't know, late March and early November. It's just too <laughs> right. hot outside <laughs> to do anything like yeah. that. So and that's really- not even accounting for that's not even accounting for wildfire smoke or um, the risk of flooding that it, that is inherent. Mm. Like that's just talking about the heat aspect of it, which is part of the story, but really not even the whole thing. Like air quality index is a huge issue at places like Santa Fe where they have an outdoor theater and they have, they've added monitors onto their stage to say like, is it literally safe for audiences and singers to be here? Singers notably having to breathe in order to do what they do. So, <laughs> yes. uh, so like is the, is the end game then that basically the windows of time that, summer festivals can perform and get shrunk and the risk to performers and audience members basically like keeps us all inside in front of our screens it could be is that where we're headed i really hope Uh, not yeah it's it's i mean i did say before like you know like how important are the arts in terms of like the carbon footprint and stuff but like there is an aspect of the arts that are needed to like feel like a human being you know and um, I think it's just another on the huge list of reasons that um, this that more drastic action needs to be taken on climate change, on carbon production. And there's some steps here and there, but like we need way, way more, way, way quickly. And we also have to acknowledge the fact that even if in the best case scenario, if we were to start producing carbon tomorrow, we would still be stuck with these uh, changes for at least several decades, you know, so we have to really start thinking about that as as people in the industry, as people who are, you know, putting together these festivals, how can you make people safe? How can you reduce your carbon f- footprint? How can you make it um, uh, make your art worth the uh, the the cost potentially, both financially and in terms of, you know, uh suffering due to you know heat stroke or whatever um these are all important questions that we really have to be grappling with the one thing that i will say that is a little ray of hope at least here in the united states and eventually it's going to be in a few other countries as well is that our uh our congress has passed the inflation reduction act which is also sweeping climate regulation it's the most drastic climate regulation of any country anywhere ever. Uh, There's something on the docket in Brazil. There's something on the docket somewhere in Europe. And, you know, if you look at these major economies like the U.S. and Brazil, if they can reduce their carbon footprints, so goes a lot of the rest of the world, especially here in the States. So that is one thing we have to look forward to is that some change is coming. Footprints, Chance Little, I bet you he's got some pretty big footprints and offensive linemen, (laughs) which which means... Not that he's rude. <laughs> that was that was that was legitimate. I I read that and my my brain said what? How? That's not very rude. I could be way, I, way ruder than that. I laughed so hard when you said that, Weston. Oh my gosh, that made me giggle. Yeah, no, he is. He's a big dude. He's well over six feet. Um, I think he's like six five. Oh, what a three hundred. I think like I think he's actually six seven. According to oh okay. wow, twins! So he'd, he'd be looking you right in the eyes. <laughs> that, that that's I'm actually kind of intimidating. When you. I 
when I come up to someone who I can look directly into the eyes and, and stand up straight at the same time, like my fight or flight response kicks in. It, it's not something that happens. Well, often. this is the thing is that this, this guy would look you in the eyes, Weston, and he would be about five times faster than you running down the street. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but he might just sing to you. So I don't know if he you would necessarily. I can look need forward to, to that him. anyway. He, he might just need to. This uh, news item gave me a chance to go into the TMZ website for the first time ever. And I, I quickly <laughs> forgot what I was looking for and ended up down some rabbit hole of like nose jobs and like Snoop Dogg. I, I, yeah. Full I mean, really. Fever dream. I, I think this is something that I always, I always say. I was like, when, when the first time I went to Europe, um, I, I, Vienna specifically, I was, um, I, I stayed in a hotel that had a bunch of tabloids stacked up on the desk. And I was like, I was going to concerts and operas very frequently. Um, and I, and I could tell that, that, you know, there's so much more of like a presence of classical music, um, in Europe compared to the US. Um, and it was really driven home by the by the idea that every single day I was there, I went down, checked the latest tabloid, flipped through, and every single day I was there, there was someone who had something to do with opera, whether it was a conductor, a singer saying something stupid, they were in the tabloids. And honestly, if we can get to that point in America, opera is gonna be just fine. Grace Bumbery is trying to keep herself out of the <laughs> opera teaching tabloids, apparently. <laughs> Grace You're you all, I write this message with great concern. Three, Three exclamation, exclamation marks. marks in a row. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a lot of concern. That's a great concern of, right there. That's a lot of emphasis. Uh, what, yeah. what is, I mean, I, I don't know what she's referring to. I mean, obviously, uh, Grace Bumbry does a lot of, you know, master classes uh, still yeah. online. And so she has titled her, uh, her, her online master class series, The Bumbry Way. Um, oh. And it includes groundbreaking advice like do your homework, study the composer, prepare for the applause. <laughs> I mean, like master classes are really more for the clinician than for the student and, and for the audience than, than for the student. That's, you know, that's just a universal truth. And I mean, it's not bad advice. It's certainly not bad advice at all. Um, I'm really just, I did try to find out like what kinds of things people were saying in the name of Grace Bunbury that caused her. That's what fascinates concern. me. And I right. was not, I was not able to find anything. So if you, if anyone out there has gotten information about the so Are you a practitioner Bunbury of method, the Bunbury method? Please come on our show. I mean, does something just tells me that the international <laughs> competition, Boris and Diane Martinovich is involved in this somehow. <laughs> Well, I just always suspect that, them. that one woman on the listserv at Opera America. <laughs> when there's oh, skullduggery like this. The fonts but don't... on the website match, that's for sure. Uh, listeners, if you have not had the opportunity to go onto Grace Bunbury's website, it is uh, it is a vision of purple and cursive fonts. And I encourage you to check it out at some point in the coming days. Let's let's drive some web traffic so she knows her <laughs> method is the no, no her way. It's the way. Is the way. The way, not the method. Sorry. Not the method, Ashley. He is the way, the truth, and not the method. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> makes me makes me think of the Mandalorian. I, I was confused by the the Bumbry method because it just nope, made me nope. think of of George. It's sorry, the Bumbry way. The, I know. Come on, I know, come on, I know, George. Nope, hear me out. Be, it made me Bumbry just. It always makes me think of the importance of being earnest, which is what. Uh, um, 
Algernon Bun- does. Bunburying. He does Bunburying. So I'm always oh, like, oh, he does. Yeah. He does do that. Um, <laughs> but Bunbury. maybe that's what the Bunbury method is. We can't, we can't say for sure. No one knows. Maybe she's mad at Oscar Wilde. <laughs> I do want to mention, obviously, I feel like we're scraping the bottle of the barrel here on on stories, um, but I do want to mention the pay what you can night for Seattle Opera. That is the whole story, and there's not much to add, but I think that this is great. I think that... I love pay what you can as a concept. Absolutely. Price price is not necessarily the only obstacle getting people from coming to the opera, but it can be such a huge Mm. one. And so Mm -hmm. to just take it out of the equation and be able to like actively recruit excited people who might not have come otherwise. Yeah. um, Like it's just, it's not brand new. Like people have been doing this before, but I don't feel like it has really been that big of a strategy compared to like papering the house with student tickets or, uh, or things like that. But in order to just like get people excited and make, and, and, what what really I think sets this apart is that when that is happening for everyone, then anyone is welcome to come. And it, yeah. the the feeling the feeling of being out of place or not wanted there, or like you're not a real fan, or like you're not serious enough or fancy enough. Like I think that that really does keep a lot of people out of the audiences, or makes them feel unwelcome when they get there. And yeah. that this is just like this is how it is for everyone. And those who have more, it's Seattle. Lots of people have more, can pay more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And th- th- this is something that I encounter all the time with my people, uh, my friends who don't know much about opera, and I try to drag them to it. Is like you know, as soon as they see the price tag, even if it's like They're you know. Off. Yeah, I mean, not even not even necessarily like that expensive, like they're comparable, like straight theater shows in Chicago that have similar price tickets to, you know, uh, certain seats at the Lyric. But uh, but like it feels like a lot. And in, you have to remember that in a lot of people's heads uh, who have never been to an opera, opera is the stereotype you hear in the movies. It's 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 wealthy people sitting in the pews and their fine, you know, uh, tuxes um, and Nazis uh, listening to Ride of the Valkyries. Those are the only two things they know about opera, you know, and uh, I think we should probably try to steer away from both of those pretty, uh, pretty handily. And I think pay what you can nights are, are great. Encouraging free nights are great. And I think you're right, Matt. Like I, I've heard this in other places, particularly straight theater, but I don't see it much in opera. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity. So well, kudos to Seattle for that. Let's be honest about this. Like <laughs> any house that's being run fiscally solvently or even close to it should not be wholly dependent on ticket sales. No. Every A house in this country could take one show out of their run and have it be a pay what you can. Yeah. Any house that is worth their salt could do this and they would not. That's not where their operating budgets are coming from. No, that's not. Absolutely not. Yeah. First of all, it's called pay what you wish. Which I think is, I do think that that's that's more inviting branding. I'll say good job on the Seattle opera marketing department. (laughs) You know, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not convinced by this and I'm I'm surprised. I don't think it's a a cure-all, but I think it's a great tool to have an arsenal and it's one that has been underutilized. But I think this idea is also a bit endemic of the nonprofit performing arts circle, right? Like you don't see pay what you wish nights in the major leagues 
or yeah, but those even the I mean, Blackhawks who suck. I, those are technically nonprofits too, but like, are they? But they're they're not. In, they're not. They're, they're in the money making business. They're in the money making business. <laughs> but there's there's this idea of like, well, we're a nonprofit and like we do theater that you know nobody wants to see, so we're gonna make it free. I, I, so for me, there's just something that does not quite click here. And I, I think it's there's some deep set almost um I, I really don't think it has anything to do with like the art with the art form itself it this is to me an a, an attempt to meet the audience where they are yeah and I, I will say speaking from my experience I used to work at a theater in the Chicago area um not as an actor or a singer but as a front of house uh person um and we had a couple of pay what you can nights mostly when the theater uh, did not sell out the house um but when those nights happened the audience was noticeably younger and noticeably more diverse every single time and i think that alone is a good enough reason to do it i do feel that george raises a good point that professional sports teams aren't doing this uh two points with that listen to First, this the sunday matinee for the chicago bears will be a pay what you wish game in an effort to make football more affordable and accessible for all Honestly, right, I think that'd be nice. Nobody ever. <laughs> but also, I think there's there's like twofold reasons for this. Number one, the audiences for the professional sports franchises are I significantly would... larger than what we yeah, have for opera. True. Number two. Nor are they struggling to find people to come. Number true. two, opera does not have a sliding ticket scale in the way that professional sports does. So yeah. if you're looking at like a night game against a really good team in a really great series in major league baseball, for example, those tickets are going to be higher than a day game. If your team is at the very bottom of the league, they don't operas don't have the ability to sort of turn on a dime and move their ticket sales in the way that yes. a lot of these professional sports teams do. Like the, the reason I went to, to do a, it recently and it's been a nightmare with their yeah. dynamic right. well, pricing like yeah so the reason i went to a bears preseason game is because it's markedly less expensive than going to a bears regular season game this was the ticket that i could afford so she's if got Hopper you George. doing something like no i'm not saying he's wrong i'm just saying that that's part of the reason that they're different i'm saying it i'm saying george is wrong <laughs> no, no it's it's ashley ashley raises a good a good point and um i don't know if i've seen this initiative happen at other houses that I can remember, actually. It, I mean, it, it seems so obvious. It's interesting to me that it's a Sunday matinee that they're doing this for. And I wonder if that is to um, make it more inviting to families and children. But also, mm. like, yeah. speaking for Chicago, like, those shows usually sell out. Like, that, the Sunday matinees at Lyric Opera of Chicago are, are, like, the big money makers. Well, then it allows the opera house to manage the number of, perhaps, tickets that are available, right? Like, right. if it sells out, there's going to be a bit of a a limit plus i mean it's a great show as you say for families to go you know versus like what else is on their season tristan samson what kid doesn't want to sit through five and a half hours i mean i did but you know, we're not going to talk about that family friendly samson <laughs> family friendly tristan <laughs> <laughs> teatro uh, de la Bredere roma closing its summer season Salm is 77% capacity. It's a 4% from 2019. They've got to be happy with that, obviously. having And I bet they didn't even need a pay-what-you-wish night. <laughs> <laughs> Although it but helps to be getting that government funding. Opera is the national sports. <laughs> that is, that's true. That's true. They're good, they're good to go. I mean, it's it's obviously way more than the Metropolitan Opera. It's also nowhere near the 
uh, Vienna State Opera, which is something like a hundred two percent capacity. I mean, well, when you like... have to inherit box tickets to the Vienna State Opera, because <laughs> I mean, those are like like purchase. like Yankee Stadium numbers at a hundred and two percent capacity. You know, so it's all the standing room. So, is it... did any of you see the passenger when it was? Um, I did at Lyric. I did. I thought it was ago. a cool piece. Great it, production directed by uh, David Poutney from um, Welsh National Opera. It's really good. Yeah, it's the story of, I mean, the what really happened to um, Sophia Postmish is that she was in Paris working as a journalist and she thought she heard the voice of the woman who was her overseer at Auschwitz in the Place de la Concorde. And like it ran up and down her body like a current. And, and the, mm. her obituary says that it turned out that it wasn't her. But so she was just thinking over like, well, what would she do if like if she were ever to encounter that woman and and wrote a radio play about it and set it on an ocean liner so that you could really like not escape from your past mm-hmm. um and that that was the big change from from her actual life experience that went into the play and really really does make a a, a potent evening of yeah that, that's an opera right there yeah goodness you you do not leave that one feeling great but you leave thinking <laughs> about nuts. a lot of stuff yeah, yeah family true. friendly family friendly <laughs> Yeah, I always laugh every time I am gathering stories for the two minute drill. I have my Google alerts and what have you. And every so often I'll, I'll get a Google alert talking about the Opera web browser. All the time, all the Which time. Which is somehow still having articles written about it in the year 2022. <laughs> Occasionally I'll get like a notification for a soap opera. Like I, I get that, but every time I'm just like, oh, the Opera web browser. Or just something happening in an opera house somewhere. <laughs> Meanwhile, I haven't gotten a single notification on my Netscape uh, feed for quite some time. Uh, neither my Internet Explorer. <laughs> yeah, I've been too busy playing Mist to go onto the surfing the web. <laughs> How dare you? Mist is like the one computer game I've actually played and beaten. That doesn't surprise me. And I don't play computer games at all. Mist was really good. <laughs> What's the what's the premise of Mist? Take it away, Matt. I don't even remember. I just remember as a <laughs> child being like, I'm wandering around this parallel universe and I can't figure out anything. This game is too hard. I'm it's, it's like an environmental point and quick yeah. puzzle game, right? Very atmospheric. Yeah. I haven't yes, played it. It is with with uh from the like early 90s, I guess, with really exceptional music. Um I remember it came on five. CDs and many of my friends went out and bought <laughs> CD-ROM drives so that they yeah, could they play this game. <laughs> mm-hmm. So okay, this if, leads me. Oh, you go, you go, Weston. Uh, I, I was, help. I was just gonna say, you guys think if uh, OBS ever gets like really mainstream, really popular, we'd all get Fort, uh, Fortnite skins. Uh, oh, I thought you us. were gonna ask if we were gonna launch our own experimental uh, point-and-click game in the nineties. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely down for the latter of those. Absolutely. So, okay. So speaking of video games and, uh, and the like, we're now in an era where video games are becoming their own, like their own entity, their own sport, as mm-hmm. it were. Colleges are starting to have esports teams. So mm-hmm. this is my question. Is OBS going to expand its sports umbrella to eventually include esports? And if so, how are we going to relate the world of opera to the world of esports? 
I mean, coming off of two years of video only opera, it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch now. Does it? There was also the uh, the uh, com- the reduction of um, Hansel and Gretel uh, performed entirely on Animal Crossing, which was uh, which was a delightful. And there's many, many uh, stories out there that I feel like would make a great operatic sort of uh, exploration. I actually have a friend. Um, I don't want to say too much about it in case this actually happens, but a friend in high school who is now a composer, um, who uh, his ambition all through high school was to make an opera based on the Legend of Zelda, um, the uh, the uh, the first uh, video game, and I think that would be honestly okay. phenomenal. Link to the past or bust is what I have to say <laughs> to that. <laughs> I would buy that for a dollar. Uh, you're actually it's such a great question. I have very briefly once watched some esports footage on youtube and like uh, my mind could not move fast enough to to literally know what was happening that's because you're old george you've uh yes. you, you you're <laughs> over the hill you don't understand the, the 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 these minecraft streams and these uh uh and these uh, uh dance emotes and the uh um the 360 no scopes you don't get any of that exactly and my son was trying are to, all three of those son- real things <laughs> Everyone on this podcast is too old except for me. My son was able to explain what was going on as I was watching this thing. But he couldn't explain the plot of Siegfried. So there. What plot? He makes a sword. Good one. Okay. Nailed it. Totally freaking nailed it. (laughs) Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Ah, it's been so great to do a, just a two minute drill show. It feels just to me so authentic about what, what sports talk radio is. Good call, bad call, we're gonna wrap it up as usual. Oliver's got a bad call, he's got COVID. Matt, oh, mm, yeah. feel better. Um, a new album came out from The Crossing, the Donald Nally led uh, new music choir based in Philadelphia that is so good. Uh, if you're going to listen to just one piece of it, you should definitely listen to Michael Gilbertson's Born, which is a piece I've sung in concert and like never, ever, ever wanted to not sing in a concert again. So <laughs> check that out. It's on Spotify. Weston Williams. Um, my good call. My, my good call is the feeling of coming across a composer or a piece of music that has been around for a long, long time and you just somehow missed them. Uh, I, I recently, uh, not not too long ago, um, uh, encountered um, the composer, the Swiss composer Otmar Schuck, um, who uh, did a few operas, uh, and I uh, and I, I finally bought and listened to uh, one of his operas, uh, Pentalesia, I believe it's what it's called, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a bop. I love that thing. It's great. I just love the <laughs> feeling of finding something that you. Because I'm very much of the opinion that my favorite opera of all time has one already been written and two has never even been recorded. So finding something that you really connect with uh, in that big sort of dustbin of history sometimes is just really exciting. Weston, you mocked me for being old and then you just used the term bop. <laughs> see, I, see, I was laughing at the just the wide variety of things that our various panelists describe as bops because it really encompasses like everything. I don't, I don't believe anything on this show, anything anyone says anymore. Ashley Hardgrave, bad call this week, and it is to the entire country 
of Norway. Ouch. Because oh. they took down my summer, hot girl summer inspiration, Freya the oh Walrus. If oh, you yeah. know about Freya the Walrus, she is a 1,300 pound female walrus who was wreaking some havoc in a bay yes, in Oslo and yes, became an internet and a local phenomenon and was the vibe we all needed this summer. She was just laying out and sinking boats and didn't give a damn who was in her way. And the nation of Norway decided to euthanize her earlier. Oh, and yeah. I am devastated. They said that people didn't stay away. And so there was no safe way to get her out of the water. And that's why they had to do it. But Norway, you are on my list. RIP to the vibe we all needed this summer, Freya the Walrus. Norway, yeah, yeah. you are not a bop. Yeah, not a bop. <laughs> yeah, yellow card. <laughs> I forgot to say this earlier on the Duke story. I, Chance Little, love the voice. That's great. But he still plays football for Duke, which is not that exciting. It's like a selling dweller. It's a seller dweller ACC team. That's just a fact. Mm, thank God you Let got that one in it, there, George. George. Let him have it, honey. Here's the my good call. So this past week, uh, I did this imp comedy improv intensive at the Annoyance Theater here in Chicago, which yeah, you might you have did. heard of Second Drink? City or, or Improv Alone. But yeah, you could you can you can drink. Yes, and. <laughs> Yes, and, it, and a shot of my lord. And it was oh it was fabulous. It was it was so great. It was this. It was uh, ten a.m. to five p.m. for five days, which is a lot of time to spend with improvisers and doing improv. <laughs> you could and have I, stopped just after improvisers. It was. <laughs> and and I showed up on the first day, and I was like, "Great, it's all going to be kind of intro." It was marketed as kind of a sort of you know intro thing only to find out and i've never done improv in my life to find out literally everybody else in my class had two to five years of experience oh my god doing improv oh my goodness my and god. i was like george never say that you can't fight your fear and win young man here we go yeah it's, re it's really unfortunate that every single word you say on the show is completely written down and scripted beforehand <laughs> it was a total blast and there was a, a student showcase on Friday night so yours truly has gotten to perform on the main stage at the Annoyance oh drink mm, and yeah I wore a tie that's yes, it for this week's did. edition of America's <laughs> Talk radio show about opera our announcer is Norm Waddell normwaddell.com N-O-R-M W-O-O-D-E-L.com again make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're not you want to get it plopping into your feed every week. Stitcher, Spotify, Gross. click follow. You listen on Apple Podcasts. Just hit the plus sign. Again, send us a voice memo. Get your actual voice heard on the show. You can just email us your thoughts. That all goes to operaboxscore at gmail.com. Again, however you submit, you get that OBS beer coaster, the OBS lapel pin. And one day I'm going to make a bright orange OBS hockey jersey. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho, audio and, uh, well, there's no video anymore, Weston, so you're just the audio editor. It is Weston Williams, though. Your co-hosts are Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, and I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you take your antivirals. We're back with an all-new show next week when we start the slow drip feed some of Oliver's amazing interviews from Santa Fe. Yes, it's true. You really do not want to miss that. That'll take you through the rest of August and maybe into early September when season eight kicks off. Plus, you're going to get more opera headlines. You're going to get more hot takes. 
and you're gonna get more 360 no scopes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Join us. <laughs>